Hello and welcome to the Mangal Media Show. I am Mangal Media Editor-in-Chief Efe Levant. To learn more about us and follow the articles discussed on the show, please visit our website www.mangalmedia.net. Mangal Media is supported entirely by reader donations. If you like our content and would like to see more of it, please check out our pledge options from our Patreon site. Listeners who like fiction can also buy our illustrated short story, Guide to Every City, written by myself and illustrated by Ala Al-Hasun. Guide to Every City is a guide for a fictional city inhabited by insects, the three different species of insect in every city. Hopsters, sloggers and buzzies live segregated lives on their isolated neighborhoods. The book not only presents a commentary on social divisions within urban life, it also satirizes contemporary travel writing. The fictional author of the guide, Steve McCracker, is a thoroughly unrelatable hipster who genuinely believes that the rest of the world did not exist until he discovered it for some over-designed travel magazine. You will laugh, you will cringe, in the words of Steve, you will never be the same again. In today's episode, I will be joined by Anna Gabalisiani to discuss a new article, Mothers, Daughters and Language. As a Georgian immigrant in Germany, the author explores her relationship with her language in parallel with her relationship to her mother. The article also deals with questions of assimilation and cultural identity. Today I'm with Anna Gabalisiani. Gabalisiani. Oh. Gabalisiani, I pronounced it right. Yeah. Cool. And uh, we are talking about her recent article, Mothers, Daughters and Language. Um, first, can you kind of like summarize what you wrote in the article? Um, yeah. He- hello. Uh, trying to summarize. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not that it's not a long. I think I think it kind of started off as some kind of diary entry. But then I understood that like the memories I had and the issues that I had with my language because it's basically about my memories my childhood memories that are kind of related to my migration history and the history of my family uh, and also the language barrier that I had as a child in Germany well when we immigrated from Georgia uh, that was a kind of a tough time to like learn the new language etc and see also my parents um, adapt to the to the new country so it was basically about that, but then I started to realize that it's also very political, and this is every everything is kind of related to how German migration history and how German politics, in regards to um, immigrants' work. So yeah, that's what the article is about, like about my relation to the language, my um, migration to Germany, and and how different people in the German, um, let's say, cultural sphere have found different ways to relate to their migration history and how I look at that. Uh, Maybe you could also run us through a bit about your personal migration history. You have your family uh, has emigrated from Georgia to Germany during the transition from the Soviet Union into independence, right? Yeah, right. So... I was born in 89 and then when the Soviet Union kind of crashed, uh, my brother was three and I was four when we emigrated, that was in 94. So that was the period, there were a lot of civil wars, there were a lot of like independence 
fights in different regions in Georgia. Um, there was a huge war in the in the Northern Caucasian Republic, republics in the autonomous. So that was kind of a very anarchic um, phase of the Georgian history, like so it happened so often in the 20th century. But so that was a really a tough phase. And then um, I remember my father telling me the story, like why we left uh, actually Georgia because I, he used to study in Germany in the 70s and the in Eastern Germany. So he had some, I mean, he already spoke German and he was um, already kind of related to Germany. So he decided we sh should leave because I don't know if this is a, if this story is really true or not, but he told me that we were like small and he looked out of the window and it was like in the middle of fights and in the middle of like tumultuous um, times in Georgia. And he looked out of the window and then guy was um, shot, I think or somebody died in the streets, like in front of her house. And then he said, and then like, it took the like people three days or so to, until the body was moved from that, from that area. So it was kind of, I mean, right now when I think about it, it kind of feels very dramatic and very extreme. And I wouldn't, I mean, I can't really imagine how that must feel, but I mean, he told me that that was the moment when he decided, okay, maybe my, children should not grow up in this country. And I mean, obviously, and then we, um, and then we moved to Germany. Um, and it was also like, there was a long transition period where he went first and then we later um, also like went to Germany with him and stuff like that. So I don't, I remember it very fuzzy, but then eventually we moved, we all of us moved. And then, yeah, I grew up there. I went to kindergarten, to school. Um, everything so is the kind of because in the article you talk a lot about how your parents have insisted that uh, not only have encouraged you to assimilate into germany but they, it almost seems like they have insisted that you leave your georgian heritage behind do you think that part of the reason why they were so insistent on that was because of the horrors that they have seen back before they moved um i think so I mean not right now when I think about it I can imagine being it that way because I I kind of never thought about their relationship to Georgia I kind of never when I while I was growing up growing up I was just angry that they wouldn't talk to me so much about it like whenever I asked something about it my mother would mock me and say whatever you don't need to have to do anything with that country and I mean that was kind of like it was kind of a illegitimate to ask about the country I mean we could but it was not really serious and whenever I was interested in she was like oh you don't speak the language anyway never mind and stuff like that so and at first I was just angry at that and I didn't really understand why that would be the case because um, obviously they were speaking Georgian so I kind of also lost lost the the ability to speak with them, like we weren't speaking the same language at one point. Like whenever, for example, I fight with my mom and I try to make myself understood, then I and I lack the Georgian words for it, and then I have to switch to German. So we, I can't like properly fight with my parents either. And um, and then at some point, I understood that probably they have seen a lot of very difficult things and. And it was my brother who told me, like, he said, cut them some slack, like they immigrated when they were like 40 to a whole new country. Um, 
they've like witnessed the Soviet Union, they've witnessed different, and also they were like in different um, uh, social spheres, my parents. So on the other hand, like on the one hand, my mother um, experienced this whole like bohemian, poor uh, paint, painters and artists and, and um, that kind of like so society that was against the Soviet Union. And then on the other hand, my father was in that, like all of his family members were in the party and were like part, like they had people driving them around while others didn't have like anything to eat. So also they're not really on the same page when it comes to the Soviet Union. And it's not really, when we discuss it right now in our family, it's not really clear where they stand. and they certainly don't stand on the same position there. So um, there's a lot of things I don't think, I don't really know about the history and they kind of also romanticize it right now. So um, I believe, yeah, I believe they wanted to, to just maybe spare me also this confusion about the history. And they'd rather I learn it from history books than from their, um, from their like confusing, memories too. This is like how I explain it for myself right now. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most interesting things about the article was that you just, you don't start off with, I don't know, something like Georgia's situation or history. You start off with something that's like really intimate and private and you're, you talk about your relationship to language and you unify it with your relationship with your mother. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah, with my mom, yeah, because it was that moment that what, what, what I say in the article, that moment when I was speaking to my to my friend and who also had this kind of frustration towards her mother because she has the feeling that even her mother, even if her mother is so very far away, she kind of always gets her way and gets like can control her from afar. And she was so frustrated about it, but she was also like feeling bad because she thought, I mean, it's her mom, she can't be angry at her. It's like a, not really accepted to be, to don't like to feel this frustration towards your mom. I mean, we rarely speak about it, right? And when, but I had the feeling that whenever I did speak to my female friends, they all have, they like, we all share this feeling. Like we all have this, our moms come too close to us. So, and then with the language that, that is really closely related for me because uh, I remember my mom giving me Georgian language classes when I was still in Georgia. And we were like trying, like tr starting to read and stuff like like when I was three, four years old. And then at some point that stopped and then we switched to German languages when we came here. And whenever after that, I tried to get back into the Georgian language and like read the letters and read a book or something, she'd always made me feel that it wasn't like, it wasn't enough to do that. She was like, why don't you, why don't you just speak Georgian? Why don't you just, why, why can't you do it already? Um, and that was, so whenever, for example, I speak with other Georgians and then they, um, and I learn some new words, some new vocabulary, 
And then I use that vocabulary when I speak to my mom. She always points that out and says, oh, like, you know, she kind of like points it out and says, oh, if you learned, you've learned a new word, where did you get that new word from? Like, mom, I'm kind of 31 years old. It's kind of, it's not really clear the situation there. So I, I've always had the feeling that whenever I, like whatever my relation to Georgia would be, would that would go through my mother, which is very like psychologically mm, tense, I'd say, because my father never was like that. He accepted whatever I did with the language and he accepted whatever I did with the country. Like whenever I said, I wanna go there, he was like, oh yeah, sure, go ahead. Maybe you should go see that place and see that place and eat that food and visit, that guy and whatever. And my mom was like, oh, what do you want to do in Georgia? Why would you go there for? Like, don't you think other places are more interesting? So it was always like, when my interest in that country grew, it was a little bit, I was like, I was made that it feel that it was illegitimate through her. I think that's why it's so closely related for me. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, since we get into like deeper into the psychological aspect of it, a lot of the times I think uh, since she has become the vehicle for your relationship uh, to Georgia, uh, could it be that, for example, you are putting the responsibility on her for your connection to Georgia? And could it be impairing you from establishing your own relationship with Georgia to kind of blaming her could it be kind of uh, I'm, yeah. I'm just using that word as like a very simplistic way of describing it but could it be impairing you to establish like an independent relationship with the country um I think so because also what I always felt was that whenever try whenever I tried to grow a deeper connection with the country that was like always by everybody around me that was fully accepted like whenever I went to Georgia and then everybody was like complimenting oh you speak so well Georgian you like I was there and I was part of that there without any hesitation so that it wasn't it was really easy to blend in and it was really easy to be like Georgian for me but as soon as my mom came in she was like speaking for me because she was like oh you 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 can't express yourself anyway so i'm just gonna take over and that was like oh you i mean you'd never live there you never find your own friends there she was kind of like sabotaging me into thinking i need that i need to like take a step back some kind of um i mean i don't i don't know but i guess i also think that maybe the the uh, memories she has from her time in Georgia and also the, from her time in migration are much more violent than my father's because she didn't speak German when we came here. So I believe um, she's also, I mean, I, I think it could be that she's also still in the process of um, thinking all of this through what happened. I also think that a lot of the times there's like a dynamic between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters 
that kind of is based on making their offspring uh, feel inadequate. Not so much. I mean, they're not they're not really planning to punish them by making them feel inadequate, but they feel like they are kind of almost uh, fulfilling their parental obligation of filling in that role where they find the child to be inadequate. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> fathers who force their sons to like play sports, uh, feel like they're like a conduit to them uh, for, for like self-fulfillment. They will rely on this figure to be able to fulfill themselves. I mean, it might be also part of her uh, performance of motherhood, making you feel inadequate so that she can, you know, realize her role of motherhood. Would that be a way of putting it, do you think? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, that could be because I've always been very different in a way from my mom. I mean, my mom was, she was a ballerina and then she, and then she studied French. And I kind of, I think it was quite clear from the beginning that I wouldn't be a ballerina. And I also, I'm not into the same things as she she is. So I'm much more like my father. And then whenever I try to um, get in touch with anything from the realm of my mom, like for example, Georgia or cooking or whatever, whenever it comes to like fashion or stuff like what she's really good at um, or knitting for that matter, like I can't even begin to look at knitting needles because then she would come in and swoof, swoof in and then say, no, you, you can't do that. Let, 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 let me do that. So, um, yeah, I think so. I think that is, that is really, that is really possible. And then, um, I don't know, but I mean, whenever I tried new things, it was always much easier with my father because he was, he would just like support me and say, well, yeah, whatever you, whatever you like, you're going to be good at it if you try. And if you're not, then try something else. Um, so that was really more like free just mm -hmm. to, to try something out. It's a pretty classic kind of like parental yeah, right? dynamic that, that happens in a lot of uh, parental relationships. I was also really interested in the article at your discussion of kind of solidarity between immigrant communities in Germany against a kind of collective racism against everyone. Maybe you can kind of introduce us to that idea a little bit as well. Um, yeah, I can try. I'm, I'm, there are really a lot of uh, very interesting things happening right now because I think we, like the, um, the communities that were born maybe around the end of the, um, end of the 80s or in the 90s, like people who were born here and who are like from migrant parents or grandparents or who have also like a small migration history or a bigger one like myself, um, were kind of not, um, there is a, I feel that there is a change going on with that generation because like they are trying to really get rid of this whole, um, assimilation and integration um, narrative because we we grew up with that feeling that we had to integrate so seamlessly and we have to we had to adopt all the like very German characteristics for be for in order to be as lit like visible 
as possible because there were like in the 90s especially after the after the fall of the berlin wall there was a surge in violence against migrants and against refugees too like there were so many um there were so many refugee camps burning in eastern germany but not also, not also in eastern germany there were like nazi groups running around the streets and just beating up people who didn't look like them and that was i mean and the police didn't do really didn't do anything so um, we kind of grew up with that feeling that we didn't want to be visible and then but but even even if we disappeared it didn't stop like the racism was there and the structural discrimination was there whatever we did so at then some point i think the those my generation and those who are writers and who are artists and who who do like poems and stuff like this um they've they're kind of like we're kind of fed up um with that integration narrative and there are a lot of like really interesting texts also being written right now about how they're rejecting this this notion of homeland of because they they had a huge debate in germany like the um from some ministries some guys they were speaking about dominant culture in germany and how migrants especially after 2015 um when there was a big influx of of people coming to i mean it wasn't that big but it was it was considered huge and um they were speaking about like the the wave of the refugees and stuff like that so when they um came in people were speaking about how they had to adopt to a dominant culture and then those like my generation of of post-migrant communities we kind of were why i mean why would you why would you consider somebody not part of germany just because you i mean you have like a weird or a, a, some kind of um how do you say very old 20th century uh notion of culture for called german culture so they're writing they're writing in german of course because the, why why would they not and uh they're rejecting this whole home, homeland notion which i find very um admirable and very interesting at the same time i was i'm just gonna just this like small anecdote that that happened i mean it wasn't really not i mean so there was a some weeks ago like two or three weeks ago one of the public um television channels in germany they did a round table with like five white people and i think it was about the question whether racism exists or whatever or if you were if you're free to say the n word or whatever so it was really the, the stuff they're doing all the time all the time and they invited five like blonde white people and they were like oh yeah you know i don't mind i don't mind using the n word and we were like oh yeah no shit <laughs> and, and then there was a huge discussion like why would they do that like well how how is that even possible right and then <clears throat> and then uh, then uh, a woman who whose name is Enisa Amani she organized another round table about the same things but she just invited five 
activists and five researchers, I mean, five people who are like researchers, activists, writers, journalists, um, to speak about th this issue. And that went through the roof. Everybody was watching that because we kind of, it was one of the first times you had like five post-migrant um, experts, actually like real experts in that issue, like linguists and historians speak about that from their perspective. And Germany was like, oh, wow, maybe we could ask those people too. And I mean, they know that, you know, like they were doing those all white, white round tables for the last 30 years and people were claiming, uh, they, they were asking, oh, are we allowed to say the N-word for the past 30 years? So they all know it. They, it's not about like, we have to teach the public channels to not use the N-word anymore to be more sensitive about it. It's not about that. It's about, they can just go home if they're still in this, in this, um, whole in this whole narrative of why shouldn't we be allowed to use the n-word because that's like so 20th century mm -hmm. mm, yeah and i imagine this entire debate about diversity must have acquired a new emergency or like a new pressing emergency with uh the arab spring and the uh and the arrival of syrians into germany as well Absolutely, absolutely. It was, um, I think, the arrival of a lot of Syrians and a lot of refugees from all over um, changed a lot of German politics and it made it much clearer, like the dynamics of, I mean, that was also like the core of why the far right party um got so um successful in germany because they all the nazis had finally a voice that was taking a stand against like letting all those people in and i mean i think they were founded in 2014 against the to protest against the euro but then very fast like they they very rapidly they adopted this anti-migrant um position and now they're in the parliament so and it was very easy to get to for them to get into parliament because they speak to a lot of like the german bourgeoisie the german middle class they speak to them um and they kind of um i mean as for as with the rights in every country, uh, it's very they have this tactic of like saying terrible things and then back and like taking a step back saying no no that wasn't meant to be that way like one of the I think one of the two um, leaders of the group in the parliament like he has a whole list of terrible things he said but he was really like referring to to journalists and saying like we should throw her out in Anatolia and stuff like that. And he, he like sits in the German parliament because, yeah. So, and that with the, with the arrival of the, of the refugees, um, it made everything, yeah, a lot clearer, a lot more, how do you say, uh, the fight was getting hotter and hotter all, all time, like all day. Uh, and now, 
yeah, I mean, now with Corona, they, they don't really have an issue. Now they're trying to like be anti-vax and anti, um, but then at the same time, they don't believe in the, um, whatever, and you know, how they are, the rights, mm -hmm. they kind of don't really have a position except for hating um, others. Um, I'm also interested because the last time we talked to you and uh, your previous article, it was about uh, the kind of Charlie Hebdo publication and the Islamophobia in it. And I suppose your own experience as an immigrant in Europe must have enlightened your research interests as well. I suppose so, but I only f understood that very late. I Because I, we kind of grew up with this whole um, European thing and talking about European values, talking about the enlightenment period and how important that was and how important freedom of speech is and whatever, like this whole narrative of whatever is European identity. Um, and I never really questioned it in the first place uh, until I understood like, how much of a problem this is in a, the German society that they, on the one hand, feel they're um, standing on the grounds of the of this whole enlightenment theories and of this whole um, black, uh, dark and light dialectics, like, and I don't know, but I was, I was always thinking, okay, we, kind of agree on human rights and we kind of agree of humanist worldview. And I never understood that this wouldn't uh, include everybody, right? I mean, if you say human, you don't mean, usually you, I mean, you wouldn't usually think you only mean white people, but then- It's like uh, all pigs are equal, <laughs> but some pigs are more equal from Georgia. Yeah. yeah. And, and I understood that as a teen and I was like, oh, that, ah. And actually it helped me um, understand that when I went to Georgia, I, I, in Germany, I was like blending in. I didn't look that much different. I wasn't, George, my Georgian part wasn't really playing a huge role in my life, except for like speaking about the good food that my mom makes. And then, um, I think the last time we went to Georgia was when I was 10 and then we didn't go. And then when I was 17, I decided I wanted to go on my own. And I went there for some weeks and also to celebrate my 18th birthday. And then I walked around the city and was like, oh, everybody looks like me. That means I don't look like the people in Germany exactly, right? I was like, uh-huh. And then when I went back, I understood it and I saw it more clearly that there was a difference and that was the reason for a lot of things. I mean, okay, I was late to the party, but, uh, and then I started researching that more and more. And when this, like 10 years later, when this Charlie Hebdo thing happened, um, it was like the, the debates on Charlie Hebdo and about the role of um, Islam in, in European societies, it was it was like black and white black ink on white paper in the newspapers everywhere uh, of just how much the society hates non-white people in different forms of uh, different forms and different like niveau 
of uh, of discrimination, but it was there in every paper, newspaper, and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like they're still they're they're still in this whole uh, Orient, Occident, like Western and the others. Um, uh, there's almost like an element of gaslighting to this idea of like the universal humanity that you know European Enlightenment talks about. Like you are. Uh, it's the, their reaction is a lot of the times. What have you got to complain about? You know, we are all equal. Racism is over now. Uh, it's it's trying to kind of convince you that the racism that you're living through and witnessing or experiencing at that moment is completely like a figment of your own imagination, kind of thing. And I was also thinking, actually, when we talked about just earlier about like. Um, Kind of right-wing racism and how it surfaces in a lot of uh, in a lot of public discourse. I think it's also becoming more and more alarming the ways in which a Western European, both an American left, can also have their very specific forms of racism, uh, which are you know which reach into genocide denial and uh, which are quite as alarming as right-wing racism and I suppose being from Georgia you must have seen various ways in which uh, the kind of left over there uh, romanticized the Soviet Union and kind of also tried to gaslight for example about your own experiences about how it affected Georgia and and the other countries who were forced to be part of the Soviet Union as well is that something that you've experienced? What I've experienced is like when I speak to to lefties and I find this very alarming that they romanticize that they really do romanticize the Soviet Union in a way that they say oh well um I mean I can't really I, I can't really like understood the I understand the the arguments because for example oh yeah they're for example those guys who they're called anti-germans they're like the far left movement of of um, uh, in, in like in German teenagers, I'd say, and they're like one hundred percent pro Israel, and they also like admire Marx, but they also admire Stalin, for example. And then when I, as a Georgian, would speak about Stalin, they'd like, oh yeah, but he's a hero, you know, and he saved he saved us from from Nazi Germany, and then. Also, they hate they hate um, Muslims, and it's kind of I, I didn't really when I, when I was speaking to them I didn't really understand my position I, like with their position because I like okay where does this where is this like really I don't know but I kind of understood left being left different but those tankies they're really yeah they're a different they're a different breed i think i don't know but it, i i found it alarming i found it very black and white too and they were really speaking about uh, islam being a huge um danger to europe and uh like muslims wanting to colonize colonize europeans and to like i don't know but it's it's very very confusing i find it very confusing and yeah, I've heard I've heard people talk a lot about the anti-German movement, I guess, 
and apparently they all wear black or something as well. I don't know if that's true. Uh, but is that is that like a significant movement? Does it have... I've only heard Germans no. talk about it. I've never seen it in the mainstream media or nothing. No, it's not it's not significant. I I mean, I would say there's No, it's not a significant movement. It's you find them in student cities. They're studying sociology. Um they wear a little hammer and what's the thingy? Oh, um yeah 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 they wear a, like on their t-shirts and around their necks and uh, they they meet to read marks together and stuff like that i think it's like young young boys who um yeah we think that yeah. the soviet union was like an anime or something i think they they believe I don't know, but for for example, they're also very pro-American. Uh, and for them, for example, like that was a joke, but that guy who was spoke with, he was like, okay, let's go eat um, a McDonald's. That's an anti-fascist activism <laughs> to eat a McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, I was so confused. Oh, it's entirely about World War II and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Weird. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's not give that kind of stuff more time than it deserves. Um, so you're like going back to this idea of language, which is what the article was about. You kind of talk about how you are reaching a new place with your relationship to language and is kind of uh, you're making new friends. You're kind of like starting to feel a lot more comfortable with your relationship to it and so forth. Is that partially to do with this kind of when you were both in the article you mentioned and you just talked about earlier as well about this new feeling of reasserting yourself as not being invisible and not having to like integrate to the degree of melting into the whole and becoming something that you're not? Is that what's helping you to kind of develop a more healthy relationship with your language? Um, I think it's mostly that I understood I don't have to speak about Georgia the way um, that I used to. Because I remember friends asking me where I came from and then they were thinking, I mean, that was when I was a teenager. <clears throat> they were like, oh, is that is that part of Turkey? Is that part of Russia? Does that even exist? Are you the princess from that princess movie who is like a fake princess? You know that movie? Where there's this princess and it's I don't know what's it called like it's like there's a princess and she's the prince but she doesn't know that she's a princess and then all of a sudden her grandma comes and she says oh you're the princess of Genovia and it's that's a made up like country, an imaginary right? country yeah. yeah it's a made up country wow. and then they were like oh you're from that country right oh my god so I mean this is the thing yeah. like, <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> like I just need to put this in here because like Europeans always kind of talk about how like Americans are so stupid and this and that mm. but like uh, Europeans are just dumb as anybody really that, I don't understand that, <laughs> yeah. that, that thing of like snobbery that Europeans have like what are they counting on when they are kind of slagging off Americans but anyway that was just the bracket I'll let you continue with what you're saying yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um 
and then at some point I started to like I was I was feeling insecure about that when people were like no it's not part of Turkey it's not part of Russia it's like a real country right I mean it's not huge but it's still a real country and then and then I started speaking about Georgia like oh you know it's a it's a very nice country you should go uh you know the food is very good too like I was really sounding like one of those city guides that some white guy wrote about some distant place. And then at some point I said, I don't wanna, I don't wanna speak about Georgian food all day and how great, how nice and how, how like how the hospitality is really amazing, blah, blah, blah. You know, because I hear that about every, like literally every country. I really and, love um, the fact that you've put and in- And then uh... I thought, okay, I'm, I really yeah. love the fact that you've uh, put in the um, the guide reference because that's something that I think about a lot as well. Like when I wrote Guide to Every City, for example, I mean, it's exactly the point that uh, we were trying to make in that book. That's what guides say about like every city and every country. Yeah. And, and you know, when I, I, when I read your, your guide to every city, I was screaming. I was like, no way, you know, because I've heard that exact same sentences, like modernity and tradition and East and West. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. I heard that like a million times about Tbilisi, right? And at some point I was myself speaking about Tbilisi that way. And then I understood that oh, this ain't it. You know, this isn't my relationship to the country. And then I started like listening to the music and reading the books and like also talking to people over there and how they were feeling about it. And then I think this was, this was, I mean, I think my search for a deeper connection with the country and a, like a closer relation to the country was really due to the fact that I wanted to be able to say something else than just Oh yeah, the food is great, and I don't know. There is a church. There is a church. Um, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think this idea of kind of uh, post exposure to whiteness and kind of trying to grapple with your own heritage thing—that's something that I am kind of. I mean, although I've never emigrated abroad, but I kind of studied abroad and stuff. That's something that I find quite relatable even with my own limited experience, limited contact with, I don't know, like Europe or like whiteness in general, the first you go through, and this is something that I've heard a lot from my diasporic friends as well, first in kind of like childhood or kind of prepubescence, you go through this period of being embarrassed of your heritage, of like trying to like make people kind of be, become invisible like you've put earlier so that you can blend in and like be left alone or even maybe like, get some praise about like how well you speak their language and then yeah. <laughs> then with kind of like puberty you come into this kind of phase of wanting to be yourself and then kind of possessing your heritage to almost like an extreme degree which is kind of like almost comical to the people who are it's it, in turkey there's a lot of kind of um i suppose tension is a way of putting it but like second and third generation immigrants especially third generation immigrants who have kind of like mm, a big kind of draw to turkey but the turkey that's in their mind does not quite fit into what turkey actually is or it has become etc 
and so when they come here as tourists they kind of experience another form of like almost discrimination because people look at them thinking okay you've made it out and you've got a much more comfortable life a bit like your bit like your mother you know they're like what the hell are you doing here now and then they see them kind of exaggerating their turkishness in a way that does not happen here <laughs> like at all yeah. which which feels a bit weird and i kind of feel bad for for the immigrants as well because you know they they are kind of trying to connect with their heritage but you know they have to do it in the in a way of their own and they're being ridiculed for the way that they connect to it um and then the third stage i suppose is kind of the, the place that where you talked about you're getting into of being able to uh kind of appreciate it uh not as simply part of your identity discovery but as a place in itself you know like uh as as a separate culture from your own experience of it because in the article you also do talk about like how you listen to music that's considered to be super corny back home and stuff like that i mean is this is this the kind of journey that you feel that you had gone through as well i believe so i yes because the i was struggling to find a um, way to connect to the country and obviously like i mean if i were um, i mean people who live in the country their parents come from right and they they would never turn to their parents for music advice right they would find everything that their parents listen to a little bit cringy and but then like my parents were the only people i could talk speak about it so I asked my like my father he used to he used to like send me YouTube videos from Georgian singers from like the 50s and 60s and 70s and I was like oh yeah that's Georgian music and then I spoke to Georgians that were my age and that they were uh, over there and they were like uh don't put that too loud you know like they were they'd never listened to stuff like that and uh I kind of like have to had to do some steps to get to what the, what the people really do and then i asked my cousin about can you maybe do me like make make a spotify playlist like a georgian playlist for me and then you know what she, what was in that playlist that was like <laughs> it was just like young techno artists and i was like <laughs> georgian techno I mean, that's fair, but that was not what I was speaking about, right? Of course. I mean, I could go to Berlin to listen to that. So there was this kind of misunderstanding. But that's the thing, for example, when I first moved, when, when I was studying in the UK, I had like, uh, I had like a bunch of British friends and we were kind of like talking about like what kind of music we listened to. And they were asking me like, what kind of music like do you listen to in Turkey? And there was kind of a, like a lot of pop and rock artists that like I was into, and it just kind of didn't fit into their expectations of like what I would be listening to as a Turkish person. But you know, when you are yeah. when you are there, you want to listen to like the new stuff also, and uh, and it's also like here we kind of debate a lot about like how there's a huge tradition of. Uh, kind of covering Turkish folk songs in kind of kind of psychedelic 60s style is making a huge comeback right now. Mm -hmm. You must have heard of bands go like Altengun or something. Yeah. And they're like huge. But here in Turkey, there's mm -hmm. like a big debate about, I mean, Altengun is kind of popular in Turkey, but they're not like, wow, you know, because people, 
are kind of familiar with the songs anyway. It's not the first time they hear them. But there's a big debate on, you know, whether that's considered appropriation or, you know, uh, whether mm -hmm. that is kind of serving a foreign market, whether it's meant to be consumed here at all. Uh, so I suppose Georgian music must be going through similar stuff, right? I think, um, I, I believe that there are a lot of Georgian artists who cater to the Georgian diaspora. Hmm. I mean, they live in Tbilisi, but George, it's only very like, mm, I, I wouldn't say nationalist, but only like people in Georgia who are really into this whole Georgian folkloric things, listen to them. And people like myself or like my parents. Uh, homesick people. And then people who are homesick people, yeah. And uh, the other ones, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's maybe the same thing with with Altingen because uh, they're actually really popular in Germany. Like they do mm. concerts over here, and um, I, I don't know. But my 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 Turkish friends, my German Turkish friends, they really do like them, and they're like, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, that was the music. Yeah, right. And I so mean, we... there is there is a need for this kind of nostalgic. Exactly. Um, a bad like uh, Altingen also to the thing of like uh, you want to display your heritage to someone foreign, but you don't want to display the raw heritage. You know, you want to display a heritage, yeah. that also, <laughs> you know, consumed together with you. Uh, actually, I was kind of yeah. curious about like uh, Georgian food is having like a huge explosion and you were kind of like in your article it kind of comes up the idea of like how you wanted your friends to know like how wonderful Georgian cuisine is but you also kind of feel embarrassed about kind of like displaying it to people as like this kind of harmless little thing that our country has and now actually Georgian cuisine is kind of very much on the radar of European foodies and I was like first I should say, like, it would be really cool to have an article about it from <laughs> the future. But, like, what what do you think about uh, that new interest in Georgian cuisine? Well, I, I find it very funny. I mean, the Georgian cuisine is really good. I mean, you you. I mean, it really is. And the restaurants over here, for example, are so very popular. Um, but I mean, obviously, the the restaurants that are um by Georgians, right? I recently like, like I saw that thingy where somebody posted a picture of Georgian like and they were like, oh I got really nice Georgian food and I think that was in Berlin or somewhere. And the thing, I mean the picture they posted they that looked nothing like Georgian food. That was like I was like that isn't and I think that was what was I it think supposed was, to be? I it was supposed to be Hajapuri like this uh -huh. characteristic mm, bread with the like the flat bread with the cheese mm. in it but they had like put some kind of greens in it and I don't know but it was I've never seen a such thing and they were like oh yeah Georgian food so great I was like no it's <laughs> <laughs> no just don't do that right but then but then and that was the moment where that shocked me was that I was like oh maybe I don't know enough about Georgian food uh. and then I had to call my mom and ask like is that a thing in Georgia? And she was like, oh, I've never heard of it. And then I was sure, okay, they're just inventing things. But I had to make sure that it wasn't me who just like 
missed this hegemony trend in Georgia um, because I'm not Georgian enough. Mm. So it kind of, it appears everywhere, this, this issue that I have. I think that also raises the important question of, I mean, innovation within cuisine, because like here, there's always like, when it comes to like appropriation of food and like making crazy trends about it, like hummus is like number one. And there's just like extremes that, I mean, I've only seen why people go into like putting chocolate into it. In like chocolate and hummus, yeah. Have you seen that one? There's like this yeah. video where they put chocolate into hummus because, and like at the beginning of it, he says that like chickpeas doesn't have a flavor. And so, I mean, you can do it, I suppose, because I mean like hummus has tahini in it, which is kind of what like hazel, the hazelnut paste that Nutella does basically. Yeah that with sesame uh it's also really cringe because like hummus is good in itself like why would you go around trying to improve that and why would you call it chocolate hummus and not call it my chocolate thing whatever <laughs> <laughs> but what you <laughs> what you just said earlier about the idea of like have i missed an actual thing that's happening in georgia i think that really puts the question of like how defensive should we be about cuisine like how much should we allow it to because dumplings right for example yeah it's a huge staple of georgian cuisine it's not just something that happens in georgia it's like all over the place and i suppose we have all learned it from each other how to do it uh but yeah like where would you like draw the line about innovation in cuisine I don't know. I think, I mean, I definitely draw a line in chocolate hummus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that, but that's, uh, I think we're um, all aware of that. But I'm um, just, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're about to take the Georgian dumplings and then put chocolate in there, oh. just don't call them Georgian dumplings, uh, yeah. right? Or I don't know, that's, it seems very obvious to me because that's at some point isn't just like your take on Georgian dumplings. That's like you taking the hashtag Georgia to promote some innovation. Well, I, so I wouldn't call I wouldn't, that innovation. It's too nice a word. No, I, yeah. Aberration. <laughs> still maybe. like aberration. Yeah, because the Georgians you can you can of course you can be free to 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 i don't know uh, for example my mom does her hajaburi not with um the flatbread with with the like how do you say pat the uh milsa in turkish we call it milsa like kind of yeah 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 puffy kind of thing right puffy yeah, 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 puffy yeah, yeah. yeah and that's fair you know you can take other puffy pastry instead of pizza dough oh i recently saw this meme on that was like there there was a pizza there was a picture of a pizza and somebody says oh yeah that's italian lamatun <laughs> like oh yeah <laughs> so <laughs> because my 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 friends here are like oh can we go and eat that georgian pizza i'm like that they say georgian pizza this is Rajapuri. <laughs> yeah yeah uh what outrages me the most about this kind of like cuisine debate is like how everyone shuts up when Italians talk about like putting pineapple on pizza and stuff like that. <laughs> and, you know, nobody cares about 
how, I don't know, for example, Indians had to adapt their cuisine so that they can convince English people uh, that it's not going to make them fart fired, you know? Uh, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's that the, the whole like Italian snobbery, I just can't yeah. stand it at all. It, yeah. But, uh, so finally then, uh, what would you recommend, I suppose, to a lot of people who are going through like similar kind of troubles with kind of connecting with their language and heritage who are kind of living in the diasporic world? I mean, I think I would have been, it would have been, when I was a teenager, it would have been nice to know that it's legit like it's legitimate to speak another language and it's okay to look different of course and then but then it's also to it's also okay to kind of assume that like you because i was feeling ashamed in a way that made me want to not like um, display it very openly mm -hmm. my my connection to georgia but then at the same time, yeah, like you're free to, for yourself, of course, find a way to have this connection and then live this connection um, because like it's a good country in a way that it's as legit as every other country is. Mm. So, and I, I think that this new generation of writers that I was speaking about earlier, it's really helping to, grow a kind of self-consciousness in younger children and also that it's also a thing in music for example German rap music has transformed a lot mm. um, because there are a lot of like young um, rappers uh, with like a migration history and they for example they're really like they record music they use, for example, Turkish melod like melodies with mm -hmm. like folkloric instruments and or also also they rap in two different languages, like the first verse is in German, the second verse is in Turkish, for example. They shoot their their videos somewhere in Turkey or in Russia or whatever. And I think this is really growing the um the confidence of those younger generations. And I find this very admirable. Mm -hmm. Um and I believe that they will be much more connected to their different cultural heritages and be also free to live that um, much more than I was when I was a teenager in the night. I mean, in like when I was a child in the nineties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for the article and thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today um if there's anything else you would like to add oh, oh good thank you very much for having me Thanks. it's always fun it's been a pleasure having you goodbye goodbye <laughs>